free? Welcome to All My Children Wear Fur Coats with Peggy Hoyt. Our goal is to keep loved pets in loving homes by educating pet parents about the importance of ensuring every pet has a forever home. For more information about creating a legacy for your pet or to listen to archive shows, visit AnimalCareTrustUSA.org or LegacyForYourPet.com. Join your host, author, estate planning attorney, and animal advocate, Peggy Hoyt. Hello, pet lovers. Welcome to All My Children Wear Fur Coats. I'm your host, Peggy Hoyt. This show is brought to you by the law offices of Hoyt and Bryan, where we create estate plans for pets and their people. Also brought to you by Animal Care Trust USA, a, na a national nonprofit dedicated to keeping loved pets in loving homes. We do this by educating pet parents about the importance of a pet trust, and we provide pet trustee services. Today, I would like to welcome our special guest to the show. Her name is Dr. Chumkey Aziz. Welcome to the show, Chumkey. Thanks so much, Peggy, for having me. You're welcome. I want to tell folks a little bit about you. Dr. Chumkey Aziz obtained her DVM, her Doctor of Veterinary Medicine degree at Tufts Cummings School of Veterinary Medicine in 2012. She completed an internship with the ASPCA in New York City in 2013 and a shelter medicine residency at the University of California, Davis in 2016. She currently works for the ASPCA as a senior director in the shelter medicine services department. Chumkey is board certified in shelter medicine practice through the American Board of Veterinary Practitioners and she joined the Association of Shelter Veterinarians Board in 2017 and currently serves as the board president. Her interests include increasing access to veterinary care for all pet owners and supporting shelters and helping their communities. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm really looking forward to this um, and really sharing information that I think that pet parents may not know about um, the field of veterinary medicine, number one, but number two, uh, the use of shelters as um, a source for veterinary medicine. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Peggy, so much. Thanks for having me. And I'm really glad we got put in touch through uh, Dr. Martha Blackmore-Smith, who is one of my shelter medicine mentors and just someone I, I really admire. So I'm so glad uh, she put us in touch. I'm really glad to get to chat with y'all today. Uh, a little bit by myself. I am from Houston, Texas, born and raised here. I went around the country, but I eventually got back to Houston and that's where I am now. I am, I, I am a Bangladeshi American and I bring up my culture because my culture definitely influenced my perception and my interaction with pets and probably chat about that a little more in a second. I ended up going to vet school out of, outside of Texas at Tufts in Massachusetts. And then, as you mentioned in the intro, I did an internship and residency. And since then, I've been working with the ASPCA and uh, I've served with the Association of uh, Shelter Veterinarians for uh, this 2022 will be my sixth year and uh, my second as board president. And this last year, I'll be the immediate past president. So really proud to be doing that work. Yeah, yeah. so your, your term is coming to an end and there's always yeah. something nice about serving, but there's also something nice about saying I'm the immediate past president. I won't lie. There sure is. <laughs> there is. It's been hard work because it's an all volunteer board. 
Uh, we have one part-time association manager who serves as our ED, who is amazing. She's been the backbone of the organization and the board, but the rest of it is all volunteer driven and it's hard work. It's hard work, but it's pretty amazing to be with a group of uh, a dozen and a half almost other veterinarians who serve on the board who care that much about shelter medicine and shelters that they are willing to dedicate uh, their free time to shelter medicine. Absolutely. Well, yeah. and I'm going to ask a two-part question. Um, sure. Number one, how did you get interested in becoming a veterinarian? And then secondarily, um, how did you get interested in shelter veterinary medicine? Sure. Yeah. And I'm going to actually um, nod back to that cultural reference I made. And I bring this up because, uh, as I mentioned, I'm Bangladeshi American. And in Bangladesh, it's, it's you know, important to note that rabies is still a big problem in Bangladesh. When my parents are, were younger, it was a huge problem. Dog bites, rabies, a really high prevalence. It still sadly remains a problem. And because of that, I think uh, folks in our cultural community, even here in, in Texas, it wasn't common for people to have pets. Uh, and I just didn't really know how to interact with pets or be comfortable with pets. We never had pets. But I will tell you that one day my dad was working drive through at Jack in the Box and someone drove through and said, if you don't take this puppy, I don't know what we're going to do. And he took it and he brought it home. And my mom was mad. She was, I mean, she was pissed. She was really mad. She did not. And, you know, it was a puppy, but we still we just didn't know what to do with it. And I remember we had to go to a dinner party that night and we were all, I was so excited, but we didn't know what to do with it. We put the little puppy in a laundry basket with some milk because we, you know, we didn't know what to do with it. No one in our community knew what to do with it. We just didn't have any um, uh, understanding. And eventually we, we figured it out. We met some folks who helped us and we met a wonderful veterinarian in our neighborhood who helped us. And uh, this story, this the, the, the ending of the story probably won't surprise you. Who ended up loving that pet the most other than me, my mom, and of course my dad. And, uh, you know, to this day, you know, that pet has passed away, but they have their own pets now and we all love pets. But um, that pet grew up with us. And when I was finishing college, he developed bladder cancer. Mm -hmm. And I was a park ranger at that time. And I thought I wanted to do something like conservation biology after college. I wanted to, to work at the parks. And uh, I came back home to Houston to care for our dog. And that's when I was introduced to veterinary specialty medicine. And I just didn't know that existed. I didn't know that there was cardiology and oncology and I didn't know it existed. And when I discovered it, I thought I could do this. I think I could do this and it's amazing and it's beautiful. And uh, there are so many other ways to support pets and pet owners. And that's what it was. That's what it was. I switched gears and decided I wanted to apply to vet school. Fast forward a few years and I was really lucky. I got into the vet school I wanted to, which was Tufts. It was, I'll note, it was really important to me to get into a school that was ethically minded. And I'll say that at that time, when I went to school, Tufts was one of the first schools to um, stop doing terminal surgery. So that was surgeries in which uh, students train on animals doing procedures, doing uh, surgeries in which 
the animal is euthanized at, instead of being recovered after surgery. And so Tufts was one of the first schools to stop doing that. And that was incredibly important to me. Uh, it was so important to me to help animals and to not harm them in any way. And I was so honored to get into Tufts. Uh, and it was there that I met my first mentors in shelter medicine, and they encouraged me. And, you know, I wouldn't even say they encouraged me, they advocated for me. And that's how I got the internship I wanted. And that's how I really got the residency placement I wanted. I, it, it wouldn't have been without their advocacy and encouragement that I could have done any of this. So that's how I actually found shelter medicine. That is incredible story. And I need to know the name of the dog that launched this whole career. Oh my gosh. Okay. It's a Bengali word. He was a little Chihuahua Terrier mix and it's the Bengali word for tiny. You know, we didn't know, we weren't that creative. We didn't know what else to call him. So the, we called it the word speechy. So his name was speechy. <laughs> Spell that for me. P-E-E-C-H-E-E. -E -E, and it just means tiny in Bangla, our language. Oh, that's so cute. We didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, but Peachy deserves to have some uh, credit for uh, your success in the world and uh, launching you into a whole new trajectory for where you ended up. And I was one of those little girls that thought they wanted to be a veterinarian um, when I was little and um, ultimately took a wrong turn and ended up in law school. But um you never know where your life is going to lead you, certainly. No, I think that's just how things work out. I'm, I'm very happy how things have worked out. Oh, absolutely. And I'm sure that the world of uh, shelter veterinarians is glad that they found you um, since you are serving your second term as board president. And um, tell us a little bit about what the mission of the Association of Shelter Veterinarians is. Mm -hmm. We are a group of veterinarians who support other shelter medicine practitioners and, of course, in, inherently then support shelters. But our goal is to advance the well-being of animals and communities through advancing shelter medicine. Uh, shelter medicine is relatively a, a newer field, even though sheltering has been around for yeah, centuries, right? Decades and decades, centuries. Shelter medicine as a formal discipline is a new branch within veterinary medicine. We only became board certified um, not even 10 years ago, less than 10 years ago, I'd say five years ago. In the country, there are about 30, I think five of us who are board certified in the entire country. But the purpose though is, of course, there are a few of us who are board certified, which is amazing. I have such amazing colleagues out there. But the other purpose is to support all of the practitioners out there who aren't board certified. You don't have to be board certified to work in a shelter. You can graduate vet school. And just like how you can go be a GP, a general practitioner, you can go be a shelter practitioner. So the Association of Shelter Veterinarians, our goal is to support our shelter vets in uh, their day-to-day -day work, in their creating, um, uh, creating infrastructure for their work. You know, when it comes to infectious disease outbreaks, creating guidelines for how to handle a parvo outbreak or a ringworm outbreak, creating guidelines for how to, to practice shelter medicine in the best way possible. So I'll give you an example. One of the most important things that ASV does is we, uh, 10 years ago, actually Dr. Martha Blackmore-Smith, she was part of the inaugural group of ASV um, board members who created the guidelines for standards of care in shelter sheltering. 
And this is essentially kind of our Bible in, in sheltering. And it's, uh, we are working on it 10 years later, we are working on its update and it's been about a year and a half in the making. It's going to be another year. It's a lot of work, but these are the types of, um, these are the types of resources that ASV focuses on so that we can help our shelter practitioners uh, with their work. With They are doing a lot of hard work out there. I know that they don't have always the time to do the research or to sit down. They can't sit down at a desk all day. So we try to do some of that uh, support for them and to help them that way. Well, and I know that the life of a, a shelter vet is probably very different from the life of a, a regular vet. I, and I think that people probably think that shelter vets probably just do spay and neuter, and they don't know the whole range of services that could be provided by a shelter vet. For sure. Of course, we're doing spay and neuter. That's a big part of the work. It's an important part of the work. We know that uh, high quality, high volume spay neuter has really reduced the amount of animals that have been euthanized across shelters over the decades. Huge numbers have been saved. But apart from that, we are doing behavior. We are doing um, internal medicine. We are doing our own, you know, uh, veterinarians are really amazing people because not everyone becomes a specialist, but you still have to know about oncology, behavior, internal medicine, ophthalmology, cardiology. These are all things that we are practicing day in and day out at the shelter. Because you can imagine we are getting strays in with no history, no medical history. We are getting um, sometimes owner surrendered animals that are in their older age or that have been surrendered for behavioral or medical issues. So we are, are dealing with uh, just a huge variety of medical cases, but also behavioral cases. So the typical shelter vet is doing medicine, they're doing surgery, they're doing some degree of behavioral work. They are really practicing on this wide spectrum of knowledge. That, that's great and um, yeah. so admirable that, um, that there are so many vets that are dedicated to that cause. And I have to say, just from a personal experience, I took four of my six dogs to a shelter recently for their um, immunizations and had just the very best experience. I was so impressed with how kind they were, how thorough they were, um, how affordable it was um, for a large number of animals and, um, and just their willingness to um, take on this responsibility. It was just, it was an excellent experience, I have to say. And Peggy, I really appreciate you saying that because that is what we hope for shelters. We, we you know, gone is the day that the shelter is viewed as the pound or kind of a dumping ground for unwanted animals. What we want to highlight is that the shelter is like any other community resource in your in your um, in your neighborhood. We are here to help the community. We are here to help keep pets with their pet uh, pet owners with their pets. We are help here to uphold the human animal bond. We are here to serve you. And I I totally understand. You know, sometimes that means relinquishing your pet. I get it. Uh, but best case scenario is the shelter helping you keep your pet, and that might be through. Um, vaccinations. It might be through spay neuter, whatever that looks like, but we, we want to, we want the shelters to be viewed as a space where communities can come as a resource to help them, uh, help them keep that beautiful relationship that they have with their pet. 
And I think that's so important and, um, and certainly a laudable goal for your organization and for the shelter vets in general. All right, I have an interesting question for you. Um, if I were to sit down with your parents and ask them what they think you do yeah. for a living, what would they oh, yeah. say? Oh, no, I can answer this because this one, uh, you know, in Bangladesh, they there are large animal veterinarians more so, right? Because there's uh, production animals there, uh, less so small animals who are kept as pets. Nowadays, that's changing for sure. But for a long time, they would just say I was a cow, cow doctor. Uh, because that's what it, that's what a veterinarian does in Bangladesh. Um, so, so it, it's taken some time, but, um, it's a good question. I really do wonder what my mom would say today, but or my mom or dad, but, uh, for a long time it was, uh, you know, she's a cow doctor. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, so how would you describe what you do on a day-to-day basis? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, as a shelter medicine specialist, I get to, you know, I should clarify, I don't do any clinical work anymore. The only time I do clinical work is if I'm volunteering with a local uh, nonprofit or if I'm doing ASPCA clinical work, uh, you know, but that's not common. That's not common in my position anymore. I'm primarily serving as a consultant. So I, I support shelters in, uh, for example, let's say a shelter is going through an infectious disease outbreak. So I might support them get to get through that without having to depopulate or put down animals, right? Like how do we, how do we save as many animals as possible without exposing more animals to whatever infectious disease is at hand? Kind of like what we've had to go through as a country with COVID. Yeah, I was going to say that's kind of uh, very analogous to where we are now. And especially with something like Parvo that can run through an entire kennel. It can. Parvo, distemper, ringworm, so contagious. And shelters are really um, at risk for those types of outbreaks because we have a high density of animals, often with unknown histories, unknown vaccination uh, histories, living in close quarters that can be stressful. You know, no matter how fancy or how often the dogs get out or whatever it might look like in a shelter, it's still not a home. It's still a lot of animals. We try to do our best, but it's still going to be more stressful than a home, right? So our goal is keep the animals healthy, keep their well-being as um, high as possible, keep their welfare in mind, and try to get them out of the shelter uh, into a home or into a foster home as quickly as possible. So uh, that my day is supporting the shelters in doing those things, just like any other consultant would do. Well, you and I have similar goals because your goal is to get them out of the shelter and my goal yeah. is to keep them from going in in the first place. And that's a that's a big part of it is, you know, helping shelters is not just how to get more animals adopted or it's how to keep animals that don't need to come into the shelter in the first place, how to keep those animals out, how to keep people with their pets or keep them with their family members, whatever that looks like. Yeah, because I, I really feel like in just looking at social media all the time, you see just an endless number of posts of people who are having to give up a pet yeah. because um, somebody has gone into a nursing home yes. or someone has passed away and they haven't really thought through what would happen if something happened to the pet parent. I think we all assume that we're going to outlive our pets and yet Frequently, that's not the case. I had a client who passed away on Thanksgiving Day, uh, leaving two cats and a bird behind. Now, 
Fortunately, she had done her planning and has a pet trust for the lifetime care of those animals, but it could have been a very different outcome yeah. if she didn't. Yes, yes. And uh, I mean, that's a, a really amazing work and that helps every community shelter. Um, that's one, one, or in this case, three, four fewer animals that the shelter is having to figure out how to manage and keep healthy and keep safe and then re-adopt that animal. I mean, imagine how much easier it is for the shelter and how much more humane it is for that animal to keep them out of the shelter, right? Um, so I really uh, commend you for that. I appreciate it. I can't it. imagine how any of my animals would react to ending up in a shelter situation. Um, of course, some of them came out of shelter situations, but if they ever had to go back there, um, I feel like it would be such a traumatic experience for them because they live such kind of cushy lives now, you know, where they're loved, they sleep in the bed, they get their meals at regular intervals and that's right. they're played right. with and cuddled and they have each other and um, just not the same situation if their life was turned upside down. Right. And in no way is that disparaging to the hard work that shelters are doing. It's, it's, there's just no comparison. Right. And our goal as shelters is to help keep pets out of the shelter. That is typically our number one goal. Yeah. Wouldn't it be wonderful if there came a day where we didn't need shelters anymore? Um, right. I, that is a, that I don't is think that goal. will ever happen, but um, it would be a wonderful day. Yeah. We joke, so, you know, we joke about um, running ourselves out of a job. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It would, so. it would be terrific. Um, so tell us, um, Chumkey, what one of your most memorable work experiences is that you've had. I've, I've, I've been really fortunate to have so many good experiences. Um, I have had some funny and crazy experiences, especially when working in New York, you just get some amazing clinical cases when you're working in New York, just people who will do anything for their pets. You know, I actually, I will tell this story very briefly. I was, it was when I was an intern, intern and I was on the ER shift at the ASPCA and um, I, I was outside of the ER and uh, a nurse called me in and everyone is just crowded around this dog and everyone is just <laughs> kind of cracking up. You know, the dog's in stable condition and the dog, everyone's kind of cracking up. And I, I said, what is going on? And they said, this really tiny chihuahua, like a teacup almost type chihuahua, and just a few pounds. Uh, the clients, the owners were bathing the dog in the kitchen sink and its little paw got trapped in the drain. And it's not that it was detrimental, but the dog started freaking out and would not allow them to get the paw out. And so this poor dog was the poor clients and I said, okay, so how did they get the dog here? And I'm not joking. They rode the subway from the Bronx to Upper, Upper East Side, Manhattan. The dog with the sink in tow. They had taken the entire sink out <laughs> and brought the poor puppy, the poor dog in. And it was a simple, quick procedure. You know, I sedated the dog lightly. I was able to lubricate its paw and get it out of the sink. But it is really this type of story that reflects the care and um, just the, the commitment that pet owners have, you know, and I know this, 
this could have happened anywhere. You know, this isn't just a New York story. This is people are doing this across the country for their pets every day, these types of things. So right. uh, that's that's just one of the one of the crazier ones. <laughs> What's the most unusual pet you ever had to treat in a shelter environment? Um, a tarantula, a pet tarantula. That was uh, difficult. Um, what else? Pet tarantula. Um, I pet and tarantula don't go in the same sentence for me. They but do. They do. I know. And I know people I know. love them. Yeah. I mean, they do. Yeah. Tarantulas. I'm trying to think of what else. I mean, we get, you know, that's the other thing. Shelters get all types of animals. I mean, we get snakes, we get turtles, we get fish, um, ferrets. We get all types of animals. Here at Houston SPCA, I was volunteering with them and um, they had gotten in a longhorn longhorn cattle as you know something that had been an ornamental animal but the clients couldn't afford the feed anymore and so they had to surrender their their longhorns oh my goodness I know all types of yeah that that's that's got to be one of the most fun parts of the job is just not knowing what's going to happen on a day-to-day basis you know and I could see how that could be anxiety inducing for some folks I get it but I really appreciate that about our work. And I think my personality fits that type of work. I love coming in, you know, coming to work, which I work remotely. So, you know, turning on my laptop and seeing what's at my desk that day, it could be just a variety of anything. I love that. I, I think that's what I like most about my job too, is yeah. that no, no two days are ever yeah. even remotely the same. Yeah. Um, so tell us something um, that you're passionate about outside of being a veterinarian and a consultant. Oh, I, uh, I'm a big outdoors person. So I love hiking. I love birding. Houston is a great place for birding because we're right on the coast. Uh, I love, while I'm outdoors, I like doing watercolors and pastels. So I like painting while I'm outdoors. And then um, I, I study, uh, Zen, Zen Buddhism. So that's a, a, a very important part of what I do as well. So just a, a, a small variety of things. I love reading, but a, a big part of it is being outdoors. I think being outdoors, uh, makes me feel kind of the most alive and content. You know, I just, there's something, uh, the, the pure, the purity of being outside. That's one of the things I really love about being an active horseback trail rider is that I get to spend a lot of time outside in the woods, interacting with nature, seeing it from the horseback perspective. And um, yesterday we were riding, as a matter of fact, in in one of the preserves locally here and um, saw some bear tracks. So that's always exciting. Yeah. We didn't see the bear, just the tracks. So we didn't have to... uh, to experience the terror that our horses <laughs> might have had if, um, yeah. if we had actually seen a bear. All right, yeah. in order to uh, wrap this up in a, in a uh, timely fashion, um, tell us what public citizens can do yeah. to help support shelters. Yeah, I appreciate this question because uh, it's important to talk about, you know, there's of course donating money that always helps. I'm not going to deny it. It helps, you know, our shelters out there, they, they can always uh, use funding, but there's also volunteering your expertise, right? All of us, no matter who we are, we have something we love or we're good at. Maybe it's gardening, maybe it's accounting, maybe it's 
web content development. Maybe it's fostering animals, whatever that is. Maybe it's fostering, you know, animals with ringworms, you know, whatever it is, there is something that each and every one of us can offer. And your shelter probably needs that support, right? We, uh, I, I will be honest and say that there's not a single shelter out there that I don't know that isn't under-resourced or understaffed. It's just a challenge. It's just a challenge. And uh, anything you can do as an individual to support your shelter is always going to be helped. You know, donations, those things are always helpful, but, you know, um, providing some type of expertise to your shelter, that is particularly helpful. Yeah. Manpower goes a long way, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. Yeah. Well, I can't tell you how much we appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today on All My Children Wear Fur Coats. And uh, so if you're joining us late, we're talking with Dr. Chumkey Aziz, and she is a board certified shelter medicine veterinarian. Very cool. One of only 35 of those people in the United States. That makes you very special, Chumkey. Well, I'm very proud to be part of this part of this uh, board specialty. It really makes me it has given my life a lot of uh, meaning. That's excellent. And uh, if folks want to learn more, they can visit sheltervet.org for more information about the Shelter Veterinarians Association. Thank you. Association of Shelter Veterinarians, to say it correctly. Yes. Well, thank you so much. And, um, oh, I know there was one last thing I wanted to ask about before we went away. <laughs> okay. Okay. So don't, don't leave us yet, folks. Um, I am totally amazed at the number of women who are entering yeah. veterinary school right now. And I meant to bring that up yeah. because I was talking to you and then I was talking mm-hmm. to my horse vet and she told me she was there were only seven men in her class of 132 mm-hmm. veterinary students. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just wanted to touch on that real quick. If there are any men who are interested in becoming veterinarians and looking for a wife, that would probably be a really good place to do it. Um, <laughs> but um, why do you think that is? Why do you think that trend has changed? Yeah, it used to be primarily men, especially when veterinary medicine was focused on large animal and production animal and equine, but it shifted over time. And now it's definitely about 90% women, 10% men. And a lot of folks say it's, it's that um, veterinary medicine, unfortunately, doesn't, it pays the least out of all the health professions out there, dentistry, medical medicine, and um, that for whatever reason, women are more likely to uh, take on that that um, that facet of veterinary medicine. We're more willing to t- probably take on debt and not make as much money uh, compared to a male counterpart for whatever variety of um, reasons that uh, I'm sure a sociologist or, or, or psychologist, someone would understand better than I do. But a part of it is that, uh, and it is, you know, the work takes a lot of compassion and empathy and caring, which honestly, I think men or women could do. It's just over time, as small animal medicine became more dominant, it just became easier for, for females to join the field and to be able to do that work. Literally, physically, technically, it became easier. And women have just been really dominating the field since then, which um, has been beautiful you know, we still have a a long way to go in terms of 
improving diversity, racial diversity, cultural diversity, and veterinary medicine. So we are working on that. But, um, you know, women are a big part of veterinary medicine, which I think is really terrific in, um, in our journey and improving diversity in this health profession. So I think it's great. Absolutely. Well, and, and I'm just going to put out a plug for my uh, equine practice that I use here in Orlando, Orlando equine. Um, it's an all woman um, oh, veterinary practice. And there are four or five ladies who work in that practice all with large animals. So um, I have more power to them. I think that's yeah. wonderful. So thank you. I'll say goodbye again because um, I, I got sidetracked and really wanted to ask that question, but I appreciate it. And um, if folks want more information, as I mentioned, please go to sheltervet.org. If you need more information about All My Children Wear Fur Coats or Animal Care Trust USA, you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. And uh, we appreciate you listening and everybody have a terrific day and we will see you next time. And until then, happy tales. Thank you for joining us on All My Children Wear Fur Coats with your host, Peggy Hoyt. We hope you learned something valuable for the benefit of your pet. We want to keep loved pets in loving homes by educating pet parents about the importance of ensuring every pet has a forever home. Get more information about creating a legacy for your pet at AnimalCareTrustUSA.org or LegacyForYourPet.com. Buy a copy of All My Children Wear Fur Coats, How to Leave a Legacy for Your Pet on Amazon. Join our email list or make a donation. Pet professionals and advisors are invited to join our trusted advisor network. Until next time, happy tales!